Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. I am your host Sri Ayer. Katha, the main player who started it all, this whole Nupur Sharma controversy. How clean is Katha? Or rather, how dirty is Katha? What exactly happens with this country? This country has the highest per capita income in the Middle East region, and yet it is hunting with the hounds and running with the hares. United States knows about it. India knows about it. Just about everybody knows about it. Yet, there is a certain blinkered approach when it comes to dealing with Qatar. To understand this, what, what kind of funding has gone into Qatar, how Qatar creates subversion among countries, we are today going to talk to Abhinav Pandya. Abhinav is not a stranger to our channel. He has been here before. But this is probably going to be one new look into the shenanigans, the underhanded things that are happening that are uh, meant to destabilize India. Here we go. Abhinav, Namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Namaskar, Namaskar. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, I have prepared a PowerPoint presentation for you know, uh, exploring and investigating Qatar's terror funding business in India. And I would like to begin with that presentation. Uh, may I? Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. So first, pure facts. Okay. Well, uh, when it comes to Arab countries, let me uh, mention it at the outset that Qatar and Turkey, Turkey is uh, not exactly an Arab country, but Qatar and Turkey, they are like close friends. Okay. Qatar and Turkey and also their brother in South Asia, Pakistan. These three states have had very strong relationship with the global terrorist and extremist organizations ranging from Al-Qaeda, Jehbat al-Nusra, Muslim Brotherhood, Harkatul uh, Mujahideen, Jaish e Mohammed, Al-Qaeda, everyone, all sorts of places. Now coming to the Qatar, in the recent controversy, uh, we saw that Qatar spearheaded this you know, global uh, movement or this you know, conspiracy against India, defaming India for for a reason which was completely uncalled for, you know, for something which did not happen. Uh, I'll come to that later. Uh, but before that, you no, know, I will explain. I'll, I would like to mention what are Qatar's credentials. So Qatar has been funding extremist and Islamist organizations in India for last many decades. Uh, I conducted an investigation into uh, in the Qatar charities the transactions with India, and this basically this project was given to me by Middle East Forum, which is a Washington DC based think tank, and uh, they were also investigating Qatar's similar funding processes in US. So Qatar was funding these Islamist organizations in US also. They came across a cache of documents uh, which had around 1,200 transactions which were routed to India. So through those transactions, Qatar was sending money to Indian Islamist organizations. So I or I explored that investigation along with my co-author in this report, uh, Mr. Akshay. Uh, you know, uh, he also worked with our organization then. Uh, so beginning with that, you know, so since 2008-2009, Qatar was funding Islamist organizations in India. And the main actor in that was Eid Charity, which is also known as... Uh, this is Sheikh Eid bin Muhammad Al Thani Charitable Association, or in short, we can call it Eid Charity. It came in, in the global scrutiny in 2013 because its founder, Abdul Rahman Nuyami, uh, was named as a specially designated global terrorist by the US Treasury Department. And he was providing financial and material support to Al Qaeda and its affiliates in Syria, like Jabhat al Nusra and all. So this organization, uh, like they did 1,200 transactions uh, to India, you know, and they were routed through uh, directly and through other indirect channels, and mainly through individual contributions, you know. And all those contributions came in small heads, so that you cannot detect them. 
in total about 7.82 million dollars were transferred to eight salafi and islamist organizations based in india the largest amount of money came to salafi philanthropic society uh, which uh, was about 769 transactions and uh, in total it was uh, 17 lakh uh, uh, 71845 qatari riyals second was symposium educational charity society uh, 333 transactions also the presentation has the url link to the report you know so the numbers okay, okay. Okay, okay, those, okay. anyone wants to study the numbers they can okay, okay. refer to them yeah. go ahead please uh, continue yeah so uh, now coming back to the Salafi Philanthropic Society, which is registered at Salafi Charitable Trust Narikuni. It's based in Kerala and uh, it received uh, 4.9 million US dollar. It was run by uh, this society. This particular society was run by RAF, which is again a Qatari charity. And this RAF is blacklisted. It has links to the member of the Qatari royal family. This organization was blacklisted for terror fund financing. It was funding Al-Qaeda affiliated groups like Al-Nusra in Syria and Muslim Brotherhood fighters in Sudan. Then Dr. Hussain Madhavur, who is the tallest Salafi leader in Kerala, also the head of the uh, Kerala Nadwatul Mujahideen. He is the founder of uh, this uh, uh, Salafi philanthropic society. He's also quite an interesting character. We need to like you know, study his uh, personality also. So he has always uh, supported Peace Education Foundation, which is another very radical and extremist foundation uh, based in Kerala. And they have been radicalizing school children in their schools uh, through some very dubious and uh, uh, problematic content. And this uh, organization, Salafi Philanthropic Society, also had some informal linkages with the people and those uh, uh, networks which were joining uh, this ISIS. So Dr. Hussain Madhur openly praised Mr. M.M. M. Akbar, who is the head of Peace Education Foundation, which is also one of the organizations that received money from each charity. So Mr. M.M. M. Akbar is also known as Zakir Nayak of Kerala and uh, because of his controversial speeches. And Mr. M.M. M. Akbar, uh, uh, I mean, his foundation, Peace Education Foundation, uh, is, has a very dubious track record. In 2016, Many ISIS recruits had links with this group, Peace Education Foundation. ISIS uh, Khurasan Promise, that is the Afghanistan uh, or the you know, headquarters of Afghanistan unit of ISIS. It's the chief, not its chief, I mean, uh, its representative who was the mastermind of the Kerala ISIS module, uh, Mr. Abdul Rashid Abdullah. He openly made a statement uh, saying that the Peace Education Schools uh, have a huge support base for ISIS and ISIS ideology. The people who study in those schools and their parents, they support, they have a very strong soft corner for the ISIS ideology. And Mr. M.M. M. Akbar, uh, he concealed the identity of two former employees who traveled to ISIS Khurasan province uh, to join ISIS. Okay. In 2017, Mr. M.M. M. Akbar was arrested. He was arrested while flying to Qatar. And the charge was radicalizing uh, the ch school children. And in this my presentation, you can see this small box, you know, in which uh, a questionnaire has been given, uh, you know, and uh, it, it was a it was part of a like you know a, a primary school uh, curriculum you know, that uh, suppose your best friend Adam Suzanne has decided to become a Muslim, what are the choices? Choice number A, he or she has to change her name to Ahmed Sara immediately. Choice number B, he she is wearing a chain with a cross, need to remove it. C, learn the shahada. D, run away from home as parents are not Muslims, e, eat halal chicken. So this is how you know they were trying to radicalize uh, uh, little children in a very subtle manner. Then you had the Symposium Educational Charitable Society. 
Now, this organization, which also received large amounts of money, it's a ghost organization. They don't have online existence. Now, what Qatar uh, donors were doing was that they were basically uh, you know, transferring money to some shady trusts and you know some shady individuals who would have an account, who would have an online existence. And after receiving the money, they would simply disappear. And since they were charities and NGOs, they, they easily got FCRA certifications and registrations through their political connections in the, in the previous uh, governments. You know? So it was very easy for them to get money. And the Symposium Educational Charitable Society was giving money to Al Farooq Group, which is another an Islamist charity group based in a small uh, locality of Siddharth Nagar in Itawa District, UP. Now, just re just imagine the kind of penetration which they have. No, we see that we say that Qatar is a small, you know, tiny country at some far away location in the Middle East. Just see the the kind of penetration and the connections which you know these groups have in the hinterland of India, the remote places of India. This Al Farooq group was directly funded by each charity, and uh, it has always uh, held a very dismissive stand against uh, you know, uh, Hindus, and uh, not only against Hindus but against the Sufi Islam and also against the Barelvi practices, which are the dominant you know, strain of uh, Islam practice in India. Then there was another Al Safa Educational and Industrial and Islamic Charitable Trust. Its chief, Maulana Sheikh Mehraj Rabbani, has, uh, has uh, given controversial speeches against the Sufi Islam and Barelvis. And uh, he was also found involved in some gold fraud and smuggling cases. You know, and the money was uh, being funneled to some radical extremist groups. Okay? This is how they were doing. And we see that you know in Kerala, most of these groups were based, and this money was coming from Qatar. And Kerala uh, has always given a very safe, uh, you know, I mean, a fertile growth to groups like PFI. PFI, which has emerged as the biggest villain in these countrywide riots, uh, which are happening uh, uh, over the last one year or say, I mean, more so over over the last uh, you know, five, three, four months. Uh, PFI has come as the biggest villain. And PFI has very well flourished and it has grown in Kerala and uh, with its Salafi beliefs. And uh, it's not just th that they are confined to Kerala. Even in Sri Lanka, the Easter bombing culprits, you know, those uh, they had, they were, they believed in Salafi radical Salafi teachings. And uh, the investigations later found that the perpetrators they traveled to India, they traveled to Tamil Nadu, and these, you know, south south southern Indian uh, Salafi networks, they were in touch with them. This uh, one report says that they also traveled to Kashmir uh, before perpetrating that. You know. And these groups also have linkages to ISI. So that's another wing which ISI has opened in southern India. Uh, Sri Lanka and Kerala, like, you know, they are very strong hubs of that. So this is my story of Qatar. You know, when uh, uh, Qatar actually, you know, uh, like, leads this movement against India, we must keep in mind that Qatar has a very strong track record of uh, funding terrorist organizations and terrorist charities, not just in India, but in the Western world also. But then... We should not judge the other Arab countries, you know, by the same yardstick because the other Arab countries like Saudi Arabia, UAE, they have been very cooperative with India on the counter-terrorism front and they have always uh, been very friendly and very supportive with India. And in the recent past, we can see that the Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE, India and Israel, they are forming some kind of a quartet group, you know, which has emerged as a very strong uh, balancing block in the global geopolitical scenario. This is my story of Qatar, and now we can move to the other parts of our conversation. Uh, that is Nupur Sharma and the ongoing controversy. Very good. Now, um, the opinion is overwhelmingly against the stand taken by the government. I'm going to put it out right there. 
the opinion in the country is they are saying look two reasons why people are really really disappointed with bjp first is that this was a reaction to an extreme actional questionable way in which somebody else said this person was just trying to react to that second thing is what was it that person nupur said that was wrong so how do you see this thing why did india suddenly do sashtang dandavat to uh, qatar well personally i see this whole uh, you know the entire saga in which uh, the issue got you know blown out of proportion and uh, you know uh, the way it was managed by the government as a big fiasco actually initially if you look at it it had died down and then as uh, per many reports in the media like the, the way they are circulating it is uh, said that uh, this alt news fellows zubair you know and these guys they conveyed it to the al jazeera and they made a big you know story out of it al jazeera is again a qatari qatari institution like you know qatari entity okay now the as an objective analyst i don't belong to the government i have no connection either with bjp rss nothing with the government you know i have never attended any of the institution to which they are associated but as a modern man who has uh, undertaken secular rational education i have some very primary questions to begin with prophet is a very respected figure not just for muslims but for all of us peace be upon him he is one of the great saintly leader enlightened soul so now and in india muslims constitute the largest minority so definitely anything that pertains to their belief system is very sensitive in india you know though india is is a secular country ruled by constitution religious laws are not applicable in india but then as a matter of practice we are very sensitive to uh, the uh, religious beliefs of various religious communities so now given that background my question is that first of all we need to ask what happened in the entire episode what did the lady say what were the words used was it abusive what was the intent what was the background as far as i am told she quoted it from the hadith she quoted an, inc an incident from the hadith okay and then there was a certain backdrop you know and uh, they were engaging in a debate where the other side had also said something now the question is that you know this is such a serious matter prophet is the most paramount figure you know in entire islam and for all of us you know now this the prophet is not something which is to be used for you know projecting or for you know for some kind of a political gains you know which countries like qatar and groups like pfi used in this entire matter this matter cannot couldn't have been dealt in such a frivolous manner that someone said that some lady insulted and people just in the government of india they just you know without any investigation without any exploration without any inquiry they simply believed question is a very it's a very serious issue pertaining to the, the 21 crore 20 crore muslims of india so it should have been taken very seriously they should have in, initiated an inquiry that was there an insult or not and secondly since there was no inquiry they simply accepted you know that yes you know and, and all our foreign ministry was you know they didn't lose a second in you know proclaiming that well there was an insult this that you know, okay you know i doubt if any religious serious religious scholar with independent minded islamic scholar was even consulted in this matter so the government became the judge jury and executioner in this case um yes and and i really they uh, shouldn't have been <laughs> and and actually the easy way out in my opinion was that look india is a democracy there is freedom of speech 
and everybody is allowed to air their views the other, it's not as if the other other side is you know blown uh, uh, purely driven snow they are pure as pure as driven snow these people Certainly. actually were uh, they were inciting they were passing very lewd remarks about shiva and uh, they, see this is where it is they always do this thing and and somehow we always take the bait they always try to needle you with something and then try to see your reaction and if your reaction is something that you know very sharp then they'll start playing the victim card and this to me is another victim card but yeah, absolutely be, yeah yeah be yeah. that yeah. as it may you know a lot of people keep telling us i mean this comments my ears are full now that there are so many lakh employees in qatar in the middle east where will they go if the government decides to extradite them they are there because the government needs them yes. <laughs> i mean this is this is a joke the all the the ones that have to be left have to be driven out have already left because of the, yes. the, the covid virus all service yes. industries is completely flattened out in the middle east the ones that are left are the essential service people if they leave then that country collapses it is at the you know the country has to decide what they want to do even today yes. i'm saying if the government says look we are going to also insist that you issue a statement that you respect as as a, as a person of qatar that you respect and and say that it was wrong on part of muslims to talk derogatory about hindu gods i would take that that needs to happen anyway go ahead sir certainly you know so this ideally the first line which government should have taken you know uh, officially it would have been that well first of all blasphemy we don't have a law like anti blasphemy which is right. prevalent there is in no pakistan okay. in there is nothing right. like that but yeah. yes as a matter of practice you know uh, since we are a democracy we have this multicultural you know uh, traditions and you know a lot of communities are living together so as a matter of practice we try to respect the religious beliefs of all the communities but then it is a two way business it it has to be reciprocated equally it can't be you know it can't be a one sided business so any inquiry any investigation into what exactly happened should have brought out the right background and the context to what she said and secondly so like she quoted something from the hadith like uh, this is mentioned in the hadith uh, al bukhari 5136 that you know prophet uh, uh, pro peace be upon him prophet muhammad married hazrat aisha when she was 6 and the marriage was consummated at the age of 9 now see i you know i will analyze this whole issue as a student of the philosophy of religion many scriptures you know like hindu scriptures we also have very mythical you know animals mythical elephants like aravat mythical horses mythical creatures like garud okay like islam has a mythical holy uh, horse like burrak okay you know secondly so just the way this aisha hazrat aisha incident is mentioned in mahabharat also we come across an incident where it is mentioned that uh, draupadi was married to five pandavas but that doesn't make her less worshipable those societies were different the value systems were different okay we accept those things you know uh, in consideration with the background which was prevalent in those societies we respect them likewise muslims should also accept their scriptures they should respect their scriptures and they should accept what is written in their scriptures with a very rational and an open mind they should respect the prophet if they are ashamed of what is written in hadith or what is written in quran then it is their internal problem prophet was indeed a great soul and the muslims need to realize it 
Very true. And uh, do, are you done with your presentation or do you have more slides? No, my, pre my presentation is done, but you know, yes, you know, the slides are done. In this, okay. what I wanted to highlight is that the, you know, this, uh, I feel that personally, this whole business was a conspiracy hatched by groups like PFI, which are always like, you know, on the payrolls of the foreign agents, you know, and some countries like Qatar, which have been using uh, religious extremism to project their geopolitical goals, uh, including Pakistan and Turkey. And some of the fifth columnists of India, which include some media people and some civil rights activists, which are also doing it for some lucrative monetary gains and all. But then the Muslim clergy and the leadership and the Muslim citizens of India should understand that the religion and the spiritual values are more important than these people. And they should not get swayed by these you know, miscreants who are trying to use Islam to pursue their personal interests. Yeah, you made one very telling point, uh, Abhinav, and I want to ask you a question on this. The form of Islam that is that was, because it's changing now, was in uh, India was a Sufi Islam, which is more yes. peace-oriented and it's much more in tune with the Sanatana Dharma. And now the radicalization has started 30 years, 40 years, whatever. Many people who used to be clean-shaven like you and me have now started sporting beards and they also shave their mustache. So they are trying to look more and more. This, this kind of an impression to create that there are more of us than you think seems to have become, you know, like an obsession. Um, are you really sure the population of Muslims in India is 20% or not something less than that? Uh, so official figures say around 15, 14, uh, last time I heard was 2011 census, 14 crores or something like that. No, 14, mm -hmm. 15 uh, and then, uh, but I'm not really, I mean, sure about, I really need to cross check the figures, but then some rough estimates talk about 20 crores, 21 crores, you know, like that. Okay. But yes, I mean, I don't claim to be an authority on the statistics, you know, and we can always cross check it. Okay. So don't go by what I say about the numbers, you know. Right. See, the, the, now what is happening is uh, there was a controversy in the South that never reached the North India. I mean, uh, MSM in India is extremely biased in the sense that they're, their lens doesn't expand much beyond Delhi and Mumbai. I'm, I'm telling you, honestly. And anything outside of these two, they don't think that is newsworthy unless somebody really pushes yeah. hard and gets it out. Yeah. There is a story that has been doing the rounds, especially in Kerala and Tamil Nadu, where halal certification has become a huge controversy. And I'll tell you what exactly it is. But those of you who have not been following news from the South. So what has happened is there have been many halal experts have come on TV and said that any food prepared according to halal, we have to spit on it. Spitting into it is how we certify that this is made of this is halal. So the moment this thing came out and and many felt that it was their responsibility to say that this is what it is, many non-Muslims stopped going to halal restaurants. All of a sudden, you saw that the halal boards have been taken out from many of these restaurants. They already changed the names to Hindu-sounding names. So you don't know whether the restaurant is a halal or not. So th there is so there is an economic problem that is coming up. Like this, there are also some other things that is causing, like for example, halal certification for soap. Why do you need halal certification for soap, for a comb, for a toothbrush? It, it is becoming ludicrous. People have started saying that, look, you are trying to make it look like, you know, you are, you are trying to grab uh, the power portions of economy mm -hmm without really having any basis for it.
halal should be only certified on food and india hasn't come out with this and it is also certified by an independent body for which you have to take crores to get that certification and indian manufacturers do that because if i don't have it i may not be able to sell you know there is no dharmic certification there is no dharmic yes, certification yeah. on the food yes right you could do that you could say it is yes. cow ghee <laughs> you could yeah. say there is no uh, artificial yes. fat there are lots of stuff that can be done so why what i'm trying to say is the the common person who happens to be of islamic faith is getting hurt in this and and that separation has to happen the radical versus the common person and this can't be done by you and i many muslims are now beginning to murmur that the mosque i used to go to is not looking the same too many people that i don't know so there is some importing going on also of these radical elements have you taken a look at that concept uh, yes you know see, i feel that this especially this is the problem with the young generation if you talk to the older generation of muslims in india you know they are, so normally yes you know i'll just begin with one saying if you go to and talk to any local like you know district level intelligence people and ask them a question what is the difference between a barelvi and a deobandi muslim you know as so that fellow like you know is a simple constable or a deputy superintendent police okay who has no idea or a ips officer like you know, who has no idea about these you know uh, the academic part of it or you know, the theological part of it he would say sir barelvi muslims they look like us you know and deobandis don't look like us they are different <laughs> and what is the other difference okay so the older generation is the barelvi type and the newer generation is moving towards the deobandi type okay? so you can see the clear distinction this is the problem with the new generation and uh, it and this is basically why it is happening because uh, of the certain leadership you know so leadership of islam has come into the hands of the mullah molvi class you know and this process actually began in 1980s you know with this whole you know soviet and afghan thing and all that you no know? before that in the sufi islam it was a relationship between the you and the god ishq e haqiqi that's what they called it okay, you know but the moment this you know the you know this you know ownership of islam came in the hands of mullah molvis the focus shifted away from the spiritual essence and it shifted towards the outer trappings those which are very ritualistic in nature and these people they simply started to you know they uh, like you know uh, literally take the traditions and sayings which were written 1400 years back and you know and without any uh, understanding of them in the present context they start to impose them literally you know so uh, with that and the young generation uh, which has no like you know the spiritual depth or no rigorous knowledge of islamic scriptures would simply believe that comes something which comes from the molvi or a islamic cleric you know even like in yes. the recent controversy even in the recent controversy i know i i guess if we talk to some uh, expert on the salafi islam or like you know proper like the from saudi arabia let's say you know and then ask them a question like mohammed bin salman also said that you know that we uh, accord primacy to quran quran is uh, uh, more important for us than hadith that's what mohammed bin salman said you know, but, but no one gave a fatwa against him because that's the status quran is the god of word of god which was you know i mean which prophet realized in his state of trance hadith were his sayings you know so definitely hadith also have a spiritual holy value but not as strong as quran you know so these differences uh, you know these mullah molvis who are not very well educated they didn't know you know especially these nuances and intricacies and the young generation which was completely like you know enamored with this radical version they got came into the, that trap and besides that there is a huge economic angle Uh, these people who are using you know especially uh, uh, i would say like you know these uh, uh, religious 
concepts and religious you know ideas you know like halal certification and all you know and you know also this you know blasphemy lord they are also claiming political and economic power political and economic leadership so this radical class this extremist class this is you know uh, at the top level i mean since they lead that's why we feel that they are very dominant but they're not huge they're not in large numbers like you know, they are superficial they are at the surface and they are very clever intellectually sharp people you know, those who are able to manipulate especially the common ordinary citizens and the religious concept for their own economic and political gains but once you start questioning and countering you know what they are doing then after that you know uh, the whole things come falls flat government of india like you know we are a secular country we should be now it is the onus is on the government to ask these questions i mean why do you need halal certification this is a very institutional i mean this whole idea of halal certification is an institutionalization of a religions you know and into a public domain you know and that no this uh, this you know penetration of religious institution religious doctrine in a very organized institutional manner in a public space that too in a secular country it is completely against the ethos and the rules and regulations of a democratic country so that is that is the call which the government has to take absolutely and and uh, i think something serious has to be done this is the last time you know india should be you know apologizing for a, a crime that they did not commit that's that's how i feel and it's it's really really sad whatever be the other compulsions come on now don't give us all that stuff if you are thinking that you are a vishwaguru then don't say you are a vishwaguru don't yes. say that you are you are going to be a 5 trillion economy in 3 uh, 4 years time because no, if you vishwa, get there that you are truly a vishwaguru at 5 trillion economy nobody is going to uh, you know push you aside so it, it, it's just a, a, a confused mix of ideas yeah. whoever decided that this should be the path that they should take was wrong and of course this government doesn't believe in communicating yeah. and they won't say that yes there was a mistake because we learn more from our mistakes than from our successes this is yeah. this is you know life life lesson number 1 and and if you don't do that then it will keep on perpetuating you'll have one average person with a certain bent of mind trying trying to tell you how you need to uh, you know be conducting uh, external affairs very very sad anyway thank you so much abhinav and uh, we'll be back again with abhinav this is a very important uh, talk we had the reason is abhinav has spent a lot of time studying uh, these organizations and his book you should uh, you should definitely buy it we'll put the data and the links in the description so you can yes. go and take a look he just recently published a book uh, this is the book you know it has uh... the detailed description of uh, all the various uh, islamic sects like you know deobandism salafism and barelvi school you know uh, radicalization scenario in india it also talks in detail about uh, the kashmir's radicalization scenario also about the kerala's radicalization situation and interestingly in this book she so this was written back published in march 2019 written around uh, almost an year before that in this uh, i predicted pulwama attack and i discussed in detail about the pfi and all its you know various uh, pan islamist activities in this book and its country wide ambitions also long back in 2009 and kind of uh, more or less almost wrote that you know they are going to organize such uh, activities across the country and now those things are coming true so uh, hopefully i guess you know they should yeah, be of some I, use I, I to the readers viewers need to understand money is no object they have a lot of money they have lots of money and and even this outside contributions are just a tip there's not much the the, the actual internal economy 
is quite strong and uh, they they can source almost infinite amount of money uh, the questions that intelligence needs to be doing is you need to know when stones are being stored up yeah. when you know other sharp objects are being stored up in mosques oh, okay so, so you can that... say what about hindu temples and churches well <laughs> if you can find any any place where you finding these things by you know yes you have to add there too especially when you you don't when there's a temple and a mosque face to face what is the temple going to do just sit and take the blows or what so you know this is this is the other problem i am a temples have huge collections of laddus and ghee basically you know <laughs> massive collections of stones well I, what i was saying is that especially the state intelligence units they are in a complete dysfunctional state you no know, defunct state you no know, and uh, the kind of so now the way these you know protests were organized across the country it clearly demonstrates a pattern first and, and in this pattern there are few things pfi has a country wide reach they have sleeper cells they have local coordinators who are able to form quickly whatsapp groups and they have local volunteers you know and they have their people visiting these small cities and spreading radicalization narratives and those doctrines and materials and all and the, these are the things which are intelligence agencies at the grassroots level they they couldn't uh, you know keep track of you know, they were they were found completely un they were caught unawares they were sleeping you know? yes and uh, viewers i put out a video yesterday that you know was rahul gandhi the gaslighter and then that started this whole thing again you know these are all theories there is a very opaque functioning in the intelligence of course intelligence has to have some secrets in their hands but if at least we know that of 100 attempts 50 were thwarted at least that's a number that they can hang their hat on of course this government is not going to say that but at the same time it is our duty to try and get to the bottom of these things because the average muslim is a law abiding citizen and we want to make sure that yeah. they don't get hurt because of the misdeeds of some miscreants yeah. so in the recent kanpur riot case government played a very smart role especially the up government you know this that riot could have you know exploded into something really major serious you know but then the timely intervention you know prevented the things and we really we must appreciate what government did and certainly the way uh, government uh, you know handled that kind of riot like you know keeping the innocent people out of you know the dragnet and you know and punishing the guilty that is the approach which we have to you know uh, we have to find and use and the, something which you said you know just now that you no know, separating the radical extremist leadership away from the common ordinary muslims and you no know, and not letting them dilute the spiritual essence of this you know sufi islam which is prevalent in india which has you know merged and which has grown with the indian cultural and sanatan ethos that these are the two most critical things that we need to do wonderful wonderful and uh, thank you okay. once again viewers do like share and subscribe to our channel and don't forget to click on the bell button for notifications and if you think you found this uh, hangout useful please consider donating using the super thanks button namaskar namaskar